want you to tell me this really neat story about how Westlake got its mascot and how you played such a pivotal role, uh, you and your classmates. You betcha. Uh, you know, everyone's individual stories just adds more data points, you know, to it. So well, what had happened is the, um, the Eanes uh, School District decided that they would build their own high school and junior high. They called all of the Eanes kids into the auditorium at the Austin High. Welcome to the Eanes Parents United podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Silva. Join me for meaningful conversations and timely information about Eanes School District. It's past, present, and where we hope, for the good of our children, it's heading. So let's go back in time. Let's, let's try to understand everything we might know about how this all started. And it started with a gentleman by the name of Robert Eans. He died at the age of 90, but before he did, he decided around 1872 to build a small one-room schoolhouse, a log cabin on his property, not far away from where the current Eans uh, Elementary Campus is on, on Bee Cave Road that, uh, you know, the children sat on split logs as benches, and they wrote with a chalk that was pulled out of the Hamilton Pool area and brought down the uh, river at that time, the Colorado at that time. Most all the parents in this area came post-Civil War. They were known as pioneer stock, independent, highly spirited, at the time, most folks would have probably called them hillbillies or cedar choppers. As the pioneers were expanding across Texas, there was an incredible demand for cedar posts, right? People were laying out their ranches and their farms, and they had to put up, you know, wire to keep their cattle in or keep, you know, their neighbors out. And so cedar posts came from right here. There's no question why we have so much darn cedar around here. That's where it started. So we're all kind of relatives, distant relatives of cedar choppers. That's who started the Eanes School District. So uh, Mr. Eanes uh, got the school running. He ran it for about 25 years, and um, he passed in 1895. But before he did, he uh, befriended this married couple, William and Sophia Teague, who donated two acres of their plant, of their property in 1896, and built a modern new wood frame structure for the kids. And that's where Ian's school is today, right on the corner of uh, Bee Caves and um, Camp Craft Road is is the two acres that they donated. They have their own story, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Teague. They were some of the earliest settles in, settlers in the area. We know that uh, William came from Arkansas around 1860, and uh, he would marry his future wife, Sophia, from Poland. She came to Texas about the age of 15, and uh, as it's written, her and her father immigrated here and came in through Galveston. But through some situation, she lost track of her dad. They were separated. And so what does any 15-year-old do when they can't find their parents? I know what mine do. They yell, Dad, from the downstairs, right? <laughs> or they get on their friend's cell phone or text us or whatever. But not then. You lost your dad, you lost your dad. And uh, this gal walked from Galveston all the way to Austin. It took over a month. Uh, people died. They were plagued by the incredible mosquitoes, which obviously spread disease. So she gets here and um, soon marries a, a Swedish gentleman by the name of John Anderson, who owned a very large tract of land over in the Barton Creek area. He died, unfortunately, in the Civil War, leaving her a widow with four children, four small children. She wasn't a widow for, widow for long because she met William Teague, uh, just a few years after the war concluded, and she married him in 1868, bearing him five more children. She probably had the entire first class. That's that's why they donated the two acres. They needed a place to build a school for just nine kids. And my understanding is all of the all the kids escaped mortality and they lived and went on to be productive parts of the society at that time. So Sophia and William ended up uh, settling on a 500-acre tract of land right here in this area, ultimately donating that critical two acres, that very special two acres to, to the Eanes School that Robert Eanes had built before. So now we have this, um, uh, this foundation laid here, 
And the, the school uh, continued on. Um, and and when they when they donated the land and they built that new wood structure, that structure doubled actually as a church, a place of worship. So uh, as I read, the uh, parents from all around the area brought stones off of their own property. You know, you can imagine they're all contributing their different colored stones and different size stones, and they're all working together to build this. You know, I mean it. Sounds about as Americana as you can get, right? Uh, the firehouse donates a 75-pound or 75-pound uh, bell so that they can use this bell to summon the parishioners on Sundays. And then during the rest of the week, you know who they're calling? They're calling the kids. The school prospers. They continue to you know, move children through the 20s and 30s and 40s. When the kids got past the age of elementary, they would ship them over to Austin ISD, which had a more sophisticated um, school system. There was a, uh, the first bus, I understand, was actually a pickup truck with a canvas top over it that would go back and forth taking the kids out there. And I also read some stories about mothers that would take their kids to school, um, which I guess my wife will like to hear because I was complaining she's taking the kids to school every damn day. And they did it back then. So, you know, we're doing the same thing. There was a little store called Beard Store right on the corner of where Bee Cave and, and Westlake Drive is today. Um, no different than, you know, a normal hangout like Honeyham is for most of the kids at the high school. Back then, kids would, after school, go to Beard's and buy a hamburger and maybe get a soda. And he had a reputation for always giving free candy to the little kids. And so it became kind of a center of the community. And today that area still is effectively a, a center of the Westlake uh, community. So through the 40s and 50s, Eanes uh, continued to grow, and they were sending their high school students uh, over to the Austin ISD. But then in 1957, everything kind of came to a screeching halt. The school system was run by the county at the time, and Travis County uh, decided that um, for whatever reason, the, the details are unclear, but they couldn't financially afford it, or there was pressure from Austin ISD to annex this area into Austin. And the way to do that is to first bring the kids over. And so once um, there was some political movement, I understand that the strategy being for Austin wanted to annex Eanes into Austin. And to do that, the first move would bring to, you know, um, annex the school system. The uh, folks in the community out here, being as independent as they are, they saw through this political move, and um, they were left with a choice. They could either join Austin ISD or they could go it alone. And so on April 12, 1958, the voters adopted to stay independent, establishing Eanes Independent School District. And they thus avoided this annexation, which a lot of the um, folks out here were uh, kind of prosperous, right? They're producing all these uh, cedar trees. They've moved on to other industrious ventures. They didn't want the taxes and the regulation and the things that Austin was going to bring. Sound familiar? Right? I mean, that's why we moved here. We didn't want the taxes. We wanted the independence. And I know a whole lot of folks coming from New York and the Midwest and wherever they're coming from, that's what they're wanting. And that's why Texas and Austonians are moving out to Westlake. They don't want to be in Austin. They want to be in Westlake. We established uh, Eanes ISD in uh, 1958, but we still didn't have a high school, and we were still shipping the older age kids out to Austin. We had an arrangement with um, Austin ISD to take the kids, and then uh, they ran out of room. Uh, they had no more room. The population was growing uh, quite rapidly at that time, and Austin said, uh, we don't have any more room from your kids. We can't help you. And so once again, this community was faced with this uh, this decision, and they decided to raise a bond. And in 1968, uh, they finished raising the bond, and guess what they built? Westlake High School. So you have a district born from a choice to stay on its own or to be annexed into the city of Austin, and they made that choice in 57, and then again faced with the choice of really no choice but to take care of its own, take care of its own kids, it raised the bond, and here we have Westlake High School. Now here's part of my interview with Jeffrey Dochen, a Westlake legend and one of the first graduates of Westlake High School. 
you are, of all the people I've talked to, one of the most uh, historically astute and knowledgeable people I've talked to. Thank you for being here, uh, Jeffrey. And, um, you know, maybe we can start with a picture that you could paint for us, maybe, of what, you know, talk about your dad. What was Westlake like in the 50s and 60s? And uh, let's just start there. Aaron, thank you so much for um, um, having me come to visit with you today. I love telling stories, and so many of the stories that I that I have gotten really came from uh, my stepfather, Emmett. Uh, Emmett married my mother in uh, 1962. I was about nine years old, and um, you know, th- before then we'd lived uh, in town, as we called it. I lived near uh, O'Henry Junior High, but. Um, it just seemed like it was a long ways away. When we would get ready to go, you know, into town, we would say, let's get ready to go to town. It was like hitching up the horses almost. <laughs> but um, but at any rate, it was uh, in 1962, it was a super small uh, community in terms of population. I remember uh, Joyce Nimitz sitting out on, the, out on the porch one Sunday afternoon and they could look across the valley and see Westlake Drive. They saw two cars, you know, all afternoon. All afternoon, two cars. No, 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 no. <laughs> kind of meander by, and that was it. But, you know, everyone knew each other, even if they didn't live close. And, um, you know, we would have supper parties and invite everyone on uh, Terrace Mountain Drive is where we lived. Mm-hmm. Um, the community was... Small enough uh, to where you, it was easy to know everybody. Um, half, and one of the things that was so striking to me when I moved from, you know, um, I've been going to Pease Elementary, but going to Eanes Elementary, one of the things that struck me the most was, I, you know, there were so many, um, you know, local people that uh, I've always referred to as uh, cedar choppers. Uh-huh. And what a rich uh, and fascinating, you know, uh, you know, group of people. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a a big difference for me. There were no cedar choppers over you where know, you came from in town. Where, where did the cedar choppers come from? What was their backgrounds? So my understanding on books that I've read uh, are that the cedar choppers came from Appalachia. Okay. And how they settled on Central Texas, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they were called cedar choppers. Or sometimes they were referred to as coal burners. Coal burners. Something about uh, burning the cedar trees or something? What they would do is they would stack, um, you know, cedar logs up teepee style. Uh-huh. They would uh, light them on fire. Mm-hmm. And then before it burned down to ashes, they would put out the, the fire. The result was, you know, just black, you know, chunks of uh, cedar that were... And uh, they would bag these uh, chunks of cedar up and sell them in town because people had, um, you know, wood-burning fireplaces. Um, And, of course, you know, cutting, uh, you know, cedar trees to use in uh, fences as cedar posts or fence posts. And then um, several other of the uh, occupations that cedar choppers had. So you're here in the 60s. Your dad... Maybe talk a little bit more about your dad. So your dad is, um, uh, he's a lawyer yes. at the time, and uh, he is taking uh, payment for some of his services in the form of land from some of these cedar choppers and other folks that are in the area. It's kind of a in-kind arrangement of some kind, right? Exactly. Uh, Emmett practiced several different kinds of law, one of which was criminal law and certainly family law. And uh, the cedar chopper families, sometimes they'd have trouble and Emmett would represent them. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then certainly there was a family law that he practiced with them. Well, oftentimes they didn't have, you know, money to pay for their legal fees. And what they would do is they would, you know, pay Emmett in um, land. He never assumed that they really owned the land. Mm-hmm. So he started researching the records, and sometimes they owned it, and sometimes they didn't. But by doing that research, he started discovering tracts of land out here in the Westlake area mm-hmm. that had been abandoned uh, by mm-hmm. the families. Mm-hmm. And I remember when um, 
you know, mom and Emmett first married each other, I, yeah. I, uh, I quickly realized that Emmett owned a lot of land. Uh-huh. And so I asked him, how did you get all this land? Uh-huh. And I was nine years old, and Emmett was an adult, and he looked at me and smiled, and he said, well, I stole it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, even as a nine-year-old, you know that someone can't steal land. In order to steal you, something, you have to be able to— Got to be able to pick it up. And hide it. And yeah, put it in your pocket or and, put, it, put it on your bed mattress or something. And so Emmett knew he was funning with me, and, uh-huh. and probably because that look I had on my face, but he uh-huh. said, Jeffrey, it's called adverse possession. Adverse possession. A legal term. He knew that I didn't know what that was, and Uh so he began to tell me the following story, if I may. Oh, please. I love it. Please. So around the turn of the century, uh, along West Avenue, I guess 1895 or uh, 1900, thereabouts, there was a fellow that was developing land along West Avenue. And if he bought a lot from this fella, he would just give you 10 acres out in the hills so that you'd have a place to... Cut firewood. So you you buy in town, and almost like an incentive, a bonus. Here's here's some land where you can go get the wood you need to throw into your fire. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Cool. That sounded great, like great marketing. Sounded like something pretty valuable. <laughs> yeah. And so what people would do is they would uh, drive down to the west end of Thirty uh, Fifth Street, about where Laguna Gloria is, mm-hmm. because there was a way to ford the river. And so they would ford the river uh, in order to get over to where their their 10 acres was in order to— Obviously, this is way before things are dammed up, way before LCRA came through. You know, it's it's just a Colorado. Precisely. Okay, gotcha. And the thing is, no one really knew where their 10 acres was. And so as soon as they got on the other side of the river, that was close enough. <laughs> this looks like my 10 acres. He said it was— it was cornered with a tree, and there was a rock here, and this seems, I think this is it. This is got to start be it. chopping. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay, get it. About when did he ultimately incorporate the city or the town? When did that happen? So um, the city of Westlake, which is uh, um, not all of the Eanes Elementary yeah. uh, School District, but but everyone refers to it uh, the same. But the city of Westlake Hills uh, was incorporated in uh, 1953. Okay. And the reason it was incorporated was, um, can I tell you another funny story? Please. So several years before that, uh, Emmett had been involved in a political campaign in Austin. Mm-hmm. And they lost the campaign. I forget whether it's for city council or who was running or just what, but in any event, they lost the campaign. And every time you lose a campaign, there's a certain amount of moping sure. that you have to do. And so yeah. Emmett and some of uh, the other fellas that were involved got in a pickup truck, and they drove that truck uh, up to the top of one of these hills out here, I guess by now there were some roads. And they put down the back end of the, um, the towgate to the pickup truck, and they sat on it, and they started passing around a bottle of, you know, brown whiskey. And they started talking about what a bunch of SOBs the other side represented. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could start our own city? <laughs> and and we'll, ourselves. <laughs> and we'll only let those into the city, you know, who are on the right side of the issues, uh-huh. which I'm sure meant their side of the uh-huh. issues. And so they're passing around this this bottle of brown whiskey and and talking about this idea how they should start their own city. And they said, well, what what should we call the city? They said, let's call it the anti-son-of-a-bitch society. (laughs) Well, um, that's a funny story. Of Texas. Of Texas, yeah. (laughs) But uh, so sometime later, um, there were enough people living in the community, and they could see the writing on the wall that eventually— you know, the city of Austin would want to, you know, annex the area mm-hmm. as the tax base became developed. Mm-hmm. And so they did. I mean, they, they didn't call it the anti-son-of-a-bitch society, but they did start their own city so that they could be in charge of, you know, what, their own destiny. Yeah. And, and in, a, in a sense, it's still kind of the same way. You know, Austin has uh, different rules for development and living yeah. and that sort of thing. And... It just feels better to be able to 
kind of have a little bit yeah. more control over yeah. our own destiny. Yeah. We're all very special. Uh, we're, we're very special because we live in Texas. Uh -huh. And in Texas, the finest uh, community to live in is Austin. Mm -hmm. And in central Texas, in my sole opinion at least, mm -hmm. the finest community to live in is Westlake. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're not above, you know, everyone else. Mm -hmm. But we do have a place that we can say, this is ours. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's that's a pretty good feeling. Yeah. We live we do live in a special place. Not to say that other places are not. But um but Westlake has its unique characteristics uh, even as it has evolved since my days in high school. Uh I feel very special to say that I live in Westlake. Mm -hmm. Um and I think we could all share in that. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> I want you to tell me this really neat story about how Westlake got its mascot and how you played such a pivotal role, uh, you and your classmates. You betcha. Uh, um, probably lots of different versions and, and, you know, everyone's individual stories just adds more data points, uh -huh. you know, to it. So well, what had happened is the, the Eanes uh, School District decided that they would build their own high school and junior high. And so uh, I was in 10th grade at Austin High when the decision was announced. And, uh, and so at some point in 10th grade there at Austin High, they called all of the Eanes kids into the auditorium at the Austin High. And they said... Um, you will be the, the first students, you know, in the new school. And today, you, the first students, will make a decision that will have uh, historic consequences upon the future of the school. And they, and they said, today, you will decide the school colors and the school mascot. And so you need to tend to this decision with all the reverence that a decision like this deserves. Uh -huh. Aaron, did I mention that we were 10th and 11th graders? You did. Yeah. <laughs> Big stuff. And so we put our heads together. We knew how serious this was. And we put our heads together, and, and you know, we weren't about to call ourselves uh, the Panthers or the Bobcats or the, the Bears or, you know, uh, because all the other schools in Texas already had those names. Mm -hmm. We asked ourselves, what is it about our community which makes us unique and special. And, you know, we had all been going to school together since first grade or fifth grade or fourth grade. And, yeah. and you know, half the kids were cedar choppers and the other half the kids were sons and daughters of doctors and lawyers. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what your parents did. If you were friends of someone, you were just friends with them. Yeah, that's right. But... Um, but we put our heads together and we said, you know, what's really unique about our area is, you know, this, this, you know, this cedar chopper heritage. And so we decided that the school colors would be green and brown like a cedar tree uh -huh. and that the mascot would be the stern and solemn image of a cedar chopper holding an axe. <laughs> and Aaron... We all voted with the same mind. But when the parents counted the vote, the colors came out red, white, and blue, and the mascot was a skinny chicken. <laughs> Aaron, we didn't even know what a chaparral was. Oh, my God. They couldn't even call it Roadrunner. They had to come up with a fancy name, chaparral. Yeah. <laughs> and so... so um, you still hold a grudge? You still feel... I mean... I'm still telling the story. <laughs> it means something. It means something. For this podcast to work and for us to achieve these common goals, we have to have a conversation. And so I want to encourage any of our listeners to write in, to call in, to go to the website, leave the comments, put comments on the bottom of the podcast. I only ask that you don't do it anonymously. Because one of the things that has torn down the conversation is too many people using electronic platforms to do things anonymously and not having the courage to put down what they think with their name next to it. I'm here putting down what I have to say with my name out there, and so will the guests that we invite on this program, and so we'd like to ask that from you.
And now you'll hear from Beth South. Beth was in the first graduating class to complete all four years at Westlake High School, but she's asked me not to tell you what year that was. One of our goals of the podcast is to really try to find some common ground on on how parents think about the district and think about our community. And maybe if we can find common ground of how we understand what it is and where it came from, maybe that'll get us in a place where we can start having these two-way conversations that we're not having um, today amongst parents and between the parents and the and the uh, school board leaders and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, what years was this that you were you were there? So I was in the school district from first grade. They didn't first have kinder, t- kindergarten when I started, so I started in... 1960 at uh-huh. Eanes, uh-huh. which was obviously the only elementary school. Yeah. Went all the way through, went to my uh, first two years of junior high or middle school at O'Henry because uh-huh. that's what we did. Yeah. And then they actually uh, incorporated or, or started Westlake High in uh, the fall of 1969. And that's when I started ninth grade. We went in portable buildings on the Eanes campus. Mm-hmm. which the por- the buildings that are portable on the Eanes campus right now were some of the, probably the original ones that we went to school in. So they were there, the portables that are at the Eanes campus were the same ones that were, were... Were similar. If they're not the same, they were just like that. That was the high school. Was that portables. was the high school mm-hmm. and the middle school, the junior high, the uh, elementary school. We were all there together oh, for gotcha. that first year. So just on that on that parcel of land kind of leading up to Westlake, where Westlake High School is. Right. It was just spread out there. Right. Behind Eanes. Right. In ah. the, within, now they've fenced in Eanes, you uh-huh. know, yeah. so within where the the playground is and everything mm-hmm. is where the, our portable buildings were. Okay. And so the, and there were, I th- there could have been fewer um, actual e- uh, elementary buildings at that point. They mm-hmm. built on over the years. Mm-hmm. But, no, we were all there together. Mm-hmm. And, um the uh, what is now the uh, I guess the cafeteria I'm thinking was not there, but um, the, there was an old bus barn okay. that was uh, that they only did away with recently in the okay. recent years. That was our gymnasium, and um, it was down behind off of Ean School Road. Mm-hmm. And anyway, we were all there together. It was crazy. It was crazy the first year. Um, all, any of the kids from that would have been seniors at Austin High mm-hmm. were given the option to go ahead and go on to Austin High and finish. And I think there were 44 kids who decided who, to graduate in the first senior class of Westlake High the first year. 44, and that was 1973. Uh, no, they, uh, the first year they graduated in 1970. So we, it okay. opened in 69. Oh, because it opened in 69. You had students that were juniors or seniors, and they graduated yeah. at that time. And so they, that first senior group, but there were only about 40, 42, 44 kids who decided to go ahead and graduate as Westlake. Gotcha. Okay. So um, I think it's uh, this journey I've been on learning about the history of Westlake has just been fascinating. And uh, I'm, you know, the the picture for me is not in color yet. It's still in black and white. But as I'm learning more and more, it's it's becoming clear what it was like. So I thought maybe, you know, can you describe for the listener what was what what was it like? You know, what was uh, what was Bee Cave Road? You talked about what the high school looked like. Uh, I kind of you know at that time in the in the '60s was. Did we still have a bunch of cedar choppers out here? You know, were there distilleries running in the backwoods and, you know, and <laughs> dirt roads over dirt roads and people and was, you know, wagons coming around? I, I don't know. <laughs> Help me understand. What what did it look like in the 60s? That was not long ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, it feels like it was. But um, so we, my family moved to Westlake Hills from uh-huh. Indiana in 1960. Okay. And... Um, at that time, Bee Caves Road was a two-lane road, and it was kind of a rutted country road. Like Chicken Seal it wasn't paved. Yeah, was it? no, it was paved, uh-huh. but it was very rough and in just a tiny two-lane road. Uh-huh. And the only store in Westlake was at the entrance where the I guess the 
Circle K or the 7-Eleven across from Westwood is oh, yeah. right now. And it was a little place. It was a little country store called Baird's Grocery Store, and it had one gas pump. Uh-huh. And it was it was typical. It was Mr. Beard. It uh-huh. was a, a man named Mr. Beard and I guess his wife who owned it. Uh-huh. And they had little, just, you know, little country store and the gas. And so anything you had to, back then, um, you know, you had to go into town to go to the grocery store or for anything. Uh, by the time Westlake, well, even, you know, even by the time Westlake started, it was still, uh, there were very few businesses. Um, you couldn't... Um, and then, and I'm thinking, you know, like to go for, to have lunch or something, a hamburger. Yeah. Like it, when we finally got, I think seniors, by the time I got to be a senior, I think we were able to leave for lunch. It feels uh-huh. like it. But there was no place to go. You had to drive fast was, to get to Ben White Boulevard to get to a fast food pl- store. There was no Dominoes across the street? <laughs> no. Huh? You didn't have... <laughs> Dominoes didn't happen until the, many, the many 70s, later, the next, uh, late yeah. 70s, I think. And I heard about Baird's. Is this the Baird's that was there for many years before that? And he used to hand out candy to the school kids? Is this well, the same one? With you know, hamburgers? possibly. Yeah, possibly. There was also, um, actually, I take it back, there was a right to the left, uh, if you're facing that that area right now, right to the left, a little bit closer east, is there's an old building there now that is not, I don't think it's occupied right now, but it was Roger's, it was a uh, the Rogers restaurant. I forgot what it was actually mm-hmm. called, but Mrs. Rogers. And it was, uh, it was a two-story building. And there was a there was kind of a, it was a cafe, and um, you know that was I take back that was there, um, but that was you know that was very rare. And the but the Bairds, you know, that was a, a the institution at the time yeah, been around the only place a long time. So two lane, dirt road. What were the kids out here? What was uh, when you went to school? When you looked around, who were going to school with you? Right. I mean, because you came from Indiana, obviously. Right. You weren't. Um, we have another guest on later that uh, grew up in the area on the other side. And uh, so, what what did it look what did it look like? Well, it's interesting that you know people bring up the Cedar Choppers. Actually, a, a good old friend of mine that used to be an editor at the Statesman, Ed Kroll, has written a book on. The cedar choppers, and mm-hmm. and it's a good one, but the the people said there were families who that's what they did. They chopped mm-hmm. cedar, mm-hmm. and um, it was like the Pierce family, the Daughtry family. There were certain families, and the kids. Um, by the time we, I was in school, and you know, I think they still had their businesses, but they had that had the actual business of it had backed off. So they weren't they weren't in full production cedar chopping. That right. it had run its cycle. Another they got run into different things. other things, mm-hmm. but the the founding families were still the kids were still in the school district and everything. Now this is this is kind of a negative uh, when you know looking back and thinking about it. So when I was at in the Austin schools when I was at O Henry, yeah. um, the kids from Westlake Hills or whatever the West. It wasn't the called others, the West Bank for a long time. The other side of the tracks. We were there were three school, elementary schools that fed into that, yeah. and one was Matthews, one was Cassis. Cassis was the Terrytown crowd, yeah. and the people from Westlake Hills. Mm. The people from Westlake they called us Cedar Choppers. They called us the Hicks. We lived in the sticks. Uh, Hicks that was, and as soon, I mean, we all the, people always said that, and you know, the kids from Westlake Hills were. They were in groups. They were yeah. cheerleaders. They were on football team. You know, they yeah. did things. But there was always that, oh, yeah, y'all are from the sticks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of came out first year. You know, we were still from the sticks because we were in mobile, uh, you know, buildings, yeah. uh, portable buildings. Yeah. As soon as they built Westlake High, and back at that time, Austin High was in their old building, which is now an Austin Community College campus yeah. on 12th Street. Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of a cool old building, but it was an old school. Yeah. And we had this brand new school, and we had brand new equipment, and we had brand new everything. And that's when the the opinions and the thoughts about what Westlake was started to change. change. Yeah. Gotcha. So you went from, you went from uh, Beth from the Sticks to Beth from... From uh, this new kind of cool place. <laughs> Wait a know. minute. They yeah. got something going on over in Westlake. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that bond measure, however, wherever they got the money. 
for right. that bond measure, turned out a pretty nice high school. Right. Yeah. And there were still, um, it was interesting too, just um, community-wise, socially, when I think about this, um, my father was a social worker and he worked uh-huh. with juvenile delinquents. Okay. And um, that's what brought him to Austin. And uh, the most of my parents' friends and the a lot of the people in Westlake Hills, you said it was remote. We were mm-hmm. all, we were pretty separated. Yeah. Rollingwood was the only. Kind of dense area. Yeah, yeah, it was. And everybody, all the kids loved to be there because it was a neighborhood. Yeah. But, um, but most of my parents' friends were professors and artists and um, kind of, you know, not your, not your corporate types. Sort of. And um, I really saw, I always thought that was who Westlake Hills was. And um, I worked at the Statesman in marketing for many years. Yeah. And the one year when uh, Reagan, every year the Statesman would run, uh, uh, what are they, mock elections in the yeah. different schools around town. Yeah. And I think it was to fi- kind of find out what people's parents are going to do, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. truly, uh-huh. when I look back. But the year that Reagan won. Uh-huh. 1980. Uh, in all the Eanes district, yeah. uh, they all overwhelmingly voted for Reagan. And I went, something, again, uh-huh. something's going on out there. It wasn't, mm-hmm. that wasn't the the norm. So uh, people moving in. So that's when, uh, I guess, more business type people so they, moved so early, in. So the kind of the early identity of what Westlake was to become started to take foot. Yeah. You had the... So in the 60s, in the late 50s and 60s, the, the legacy of the cedar choppers and the kind of pioneers of the area, mm-hmm. that subsided. And then some of the sophistication moved in mm-hmm. with uh, the prof- – I've heard this from other people, the professors, the doctors, law- you know, these folks moved in. Mm-hmm. And you had this – I've heard there was kind of a – there was really two populations here. You had the kids of the uh, folks that – Escaped out of Austin. Right. And then you had the kids that were from the Cedar Choppers. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone got on. Mm-hmm. You know, there was um, – it was as strong a community as it might have ever been. And right. I have also heard what you said that uh, when you were going to school down in Terrytown, which is where O'Henry mm-hmm. is, that the other kids kind of looked down their nose a little bit right. at the kids. And then I hadn't heard this perspective though when Westlake got built. Ah, yeah, something you know, something special. So then, because we were all surprised too. Honestly, the kids that went there were kind of surprised because, because we did. Since it was a new school, you had to get new, new things. And what was fun about starting a brand new school was Mm -hmm. the fact that we got to establish. Besides allowing someone else pick the the mascot and the colors, you know, the parents, the Uh powers that be, Uh we got to establish a lot of the uh, traditions and the things that happened that are still going on today. Gotcha. And uh, so that was fun. I mean, who gets to do that in a school? What's what's an example of a tradition that's still happening today? Well, um, some of the things are – well, one thing that I feel like I'm kind of sad that – I think it's not happening anymore, but it, it was. And it was a fun thing that even when my kids were there, yeah. what's happening was the Mexican hat dance uh, during the football pep I've rallies. I've heard about this. this. This stopped recently. Yeah. Within the last four or five Unfortunately, years. Unfortunately, because, again, of the uh, people felt like it was culturally inappropriate or something. but Misappropriating cultural icons or what, – but what but the was way it? But the way it, what, it started, it the way it started, we always had at every pep rally – um, and this was in when we were in the new building. Yeah. So it starting in 1970, I guess. Yeah. Uh, at every pep rally, the band would always play, et cetera, and everything. They always played the song, the Mexican hat dance, yeah. as a, at, toward the end just as a celebration song. And everybody would clap and cheer. Yeah. And it was just a fun song. Yeah. And the football team, you know, all stood there, they're, they're, you know, being honored and everything. Yeah. And at one since they always played it at one pep rally, probably bef- about halfway through the season, someone had a sombrero mm-hmm. at one of the football players, the team. They threw it out, and there was a guy named Scott Sparks who is part of, he's still very active in our alumni groups and stuff. He was a football, he was a huge, you know, he was a lineman and all this stuff. Um, he got out and started dancing around the hat, and people went 
crazy. So it became, you know, Rose Chat, and he actually was dancing like a head dancer yeah, does. Yeah. And we all, I mean, everybody loved it. So from that day on, for that season, he did it every dance. And then at the end of that season, he nominated the next senior that was going to do it the next year. To carry on the To carry on. And it carried on. And, and, you know, I only went to a few of my kids' pep rallies. But they were still doing it then. And it was, I don't know, it was just such a blast that we did that. innocent, fun. Right. It's part of that spirit building that goes on in every high school. Here's part of my discussion with Rex Hoover, a Westlake High School alumni from America's class, 1981. You're in the class of 81, and um, at the time, how big is the class approximately? We graduated with a little bit over 200, but we started in ninth grade with probably maybe 125, 130 kids. And so right at the end of the decade is when 360 opened. Gotcha. Lost Creek opened. Rob Roy, Davenport. As 360 developed, the school grew very, very dramatically. Uh, When I was in sixth grade, um, there was about 600 kids. At the time, there was only K through 5 at Eanes, and then you went 6 through 12 at Westlake. At Westlake. So – when I got out of Eanes in fifth grade, we showed up, you know, 1976, uh, it, it, dazed and confused, you know, literally the same uh-huh. year, uh, which was quite a very interesting experience to be, you know, 12 years old at the high school uh-huh. during 1976. Uh-huh. But there was about six or 700 kids in seven grades at that time uh-huh. at the high school. And I knew every single person's name. I just, yeah. I, I, I just, Kind of like that, and I just decided yeah. I'm gonna learn. I didn't know them, but I knew who their name was and stuff. And by the time I had graduated in twelfth grade, I graduated with kids I didn't know their name, and that uh, always made me sad that, yeah. that so quickly, yeah. kind of during my time, it, it had gone. You know, the the it, isolation had started stopped started ending. Yes. Uh, the walls came down, if you and, will. A lot of influx of people. Well, and sadly, all normal, boring people you know the, the cedar choppers were gone the hippies yeah. kind of faded out and and the whole thing became so much more homogenous gotcha. uh, and uh and i've always thought that that was a, a sad thing yeah. that how quickly we lost this great flavor and all these characters that yeah we had. yeah the um uh there's been a consistent sense from uh other folks i've had a chance to uh, talk to about when Ian, when Westlake High School came to be in '69, uh, previous to that, obviously uh, the children were bused to um, O'Henry uh, and and um, Austin High and Austin High. Thank you. And when the school came, it was so new, so neat, so advanced. It was really it was like this this jewel over here. And instead of the children being referred to as the hicks from the sticks, it suddenly changed like, what, changed, what do you got over there? And, and so the school, I'm sure, has always been the, kind of the center of the community, right? I mean, the community is really built around the, the school. Is it, is it still special in that? I mean, do you agree with the sentiment that it was something special then? Is it still special that way today? Do you see it that way? The fact that we had a single high school that the whole district came together has always been the the defining factor for, for me of Eanes and of Westlake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to point out real quickly, all of our peer groups, our peer schools that we played in, in, in sports and that were in our district, Leander, Round Rock, Georgetown, Taylor, Maynard, Elgin, Hayes, those were all small towns completely removed from Austin, as we were. We were not yeah. a suburb really of Austin. And um, we've grown from maybe a thousand kids to 27, 2800. Every single one of our peers has from two to seven 6A high schools now. Oh, and probably the average is at three to four. So it shows that, yes, we've grown, but nothing like our, our, Not at the our pace peers. of our peers, yeah. Um, and as Coach Dodge always talks about, there's about 300 6A, which is the largest classification of high schools in the state of Texas. 
but there's only 17 that have a single high school in in the same in in one district like us like Lake Travis gotcha. it's a very unique situation at, at the size that we're at um and quite frankly in in in, ac- in athletics it's almost an unfair advantage for us to play Austin High with you know seven or eight high schools and and just such a different environment in terms of the feeder system up. It's because it's unfair because um, their feeder system is dispersed. Absolutely, it's not concentrated Absolutely. in one school. There's a story you shared with me the other day. I think is interesting. Um, I've taken the listeners uh, back in time to when the school district was born in the '50s, and then when Westlake was born in the late '60s. And there's also um, kind of in parallel with this uh, this distribution of students. There's a story about when Westlake again went on its own and separate and and Travis, and how that separation occurred. Like there was at one point there was a, a lot of discussion about them being combined or, or how take us through that a little bit. And then the the a property change sure. and it split so, it up. Um, Lake Travis High School uh, came into being in the in, I think in 1985. Previous to that, similar to how we had all gone into Austin High, that was what I always call the mothership, uh, all the the Lake Travis kids went to Dripping Springs. Went to so, Dripping. So they all went to Drip. They were Drip kids. Um, the, 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 the issue that I think you and I were talking about more was the, the great debate in, in Westlake was to whether we were going to have two high schools. Okay. And that was really based on the development of the Baldwin, the last of the Baldwin Ranch and the Wolf Ranch, which is about 2,500 acres uh, west of Cornavaca out okay. to Lake Point. Okay. Um, the, the Baldwin Ranch included the land for Lake Point and even the Galleria all the way out to the hard corner of 71. That was all being developed. It, it was Wall Street money. It was a big deal. Some of my real estate partners were involved in that. And basically, it was all entitled. They were selling the lots off to the builders at the time. The streets were all just about to get cut in. And... Uh, West of Cornavaca was basically going to become, you know, South Austin. It was going to be William County. It was going to be, you know, hundreds, thousands of homes. And we really would have had to have had a two-school, um, two schools. But prior to Michael Dell coming out and buying all of that land for his, yeah. his ranch, uh, our community was – it was the most divisive thing up until these current times that had occurred um, at least – in my times from the 70s on, and that was to whether to have a second high school. And the district was was feverishly split on it. Um, a lot of people said, what makes us unique and special is that we have one high school that we all focus on and we all come together. And another part of the community felt very, very strongly that it's getting too big. We're losing our small school feel. And we don't like that. And all of a sudden, our kids can't be on the basketball team anymore because there's too many kids. Mm-hmm. That was a real sea change. You know, we never had enough kids. All of a sudden, we had too many, and kids couldn't play. And and a lot of the old timers didn't like all of the change. Um, and so there was obviously great reasons, pro and con. Um, and it was it was tearing our our community apart. We kind of got fortunate in that Michael Dell bought all of the really the majority of the undeveloped well bought all the undeveloped yeah. he bought the undeveloped yeah. land that 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 kind of became a, a moot issue. Uh, Lake Travis is right in the throes of that today. Um, they have a very very large land area, um, and their issue is not really so much are we going to have two high schools, but how long can we how long can we keep it with just one? And they're going to probably do an art school. They're probably going to do a ninth grade center. But inevitably, most people believe they're just their numbers are so big, they're going to have to have two high schools. And it'll be different. It'll be different for them then. Um, so we, we've been fortunate that we, you know, all these years we've been able to keep just the single high school. And I think it's kind of the defining issue of our community. Yeah. So we have this, um, we're in this uh, one great position we're not really isolated anymore, but uh, it's going to be a one high school system for the foreseeable future because we're not going to get the density that would be requisite to have a second high school. Uh, and and you said that one of the reasons uh, people were wanted to stay is they wanted to stay connected to the school, the community. But here we are in this time, and it doesn't feel very tight right now, right? It doesn't it doesn't feel tight. 
uh, and you said it you know was a divisive time now then and it's it's a divisive time now was there uh, was there a presence of leadership at that time uh, you know back then that you recall because this was occurring after you were out of high school and was it a different style of leadership than what we have today well you know one of the things I always talk about back then that's so different today is that all the teachers lived in the district. The superintendent lived in the district. They all had kids in your class. You went to the grocery store, you saw them. They, they were in your, you went to church with them. So everybody knew everything and everybody, um, and, and, it, and it was it was very, very close. And that that's changed and it, and it has to change. Um, and, and then it, it was so much smaller and it was new. It, it was a tabula rasa, it was a blank slate that some giant personalities like Tootie Bird, like Ken Dabbs, the first football coach and athletic director, who were gigantic personalities in a tiny fishbowl, really had an outsized influence on creating the culture or the brand, as they would call it today. And that brand and culture was, it's going to be excellence, it's going to be fun, and it's going to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think as a community, we were really fortunate to have that leadership back in the day as we kind of got started. Mm-hmm. And do you think those underpinnings still exist today? I mean, it's, it is excellent. It is fun. And it appears to be for everybody. Oh, a- absolutely. I, I, you know, certainly on the excellence. Come on. The, yeah, the, it doesn't I mean, get better. You know, we're, there's 28,000 public high schools in the United States. We've been the number one football team for three years in a row. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't win district when I was here. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't beat seven, you know, poor schools. Uh, so it, it's it's incomprehensible. It's not the football. It's it's band, choir, robotics. Every single thing that Westlake does is it is at the absolute excellent level. It's fantastic. There's really nothing like it. Um, and and so, you know, that the excellence side of it has really ex- far exceeded, I believe, what anybody ever suspected. Uh, it's it's still a very fun community. It's got a great spirit, as you know. Um, it, it attracts people from all over the world now. They're, they're drawn to it. Um, and I certainly hope that, that it's inclusive, you know, and, and it's something for everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Eans Parents United podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ian's Kids First, ensuring that Ian's prioritizes our children's well-being, honors parental rights, and unites our incredible community. To learn more about our mission or to donate to our cause, please visit us at eanskids.com. That's E-A-N-E-S kids.com.